to worship this morning. Uh, it is wonderful to gather together and to draw our attention to God. Um, I just want to uh, remind us in, in these moments as we gather here that we come. We come in expectation of encountering the presence of God. We come in expectation of hearing God speak to us and allowing the Spirit to work deep within us to con continue to shape us and to form us. And so um, as we join in this song, um, we fall down. And as the light of Christ comes forward to remind us of Christ's presence, may we begin to turn our attention to God, seeking to hear him this day. Let us join together in worship.
that this morning. I hope that indeed we have all come with all of ourselves to lay ourselves down before God, to hear what God has to say to us and speak to us um, in uh, this day. As we gather here, there are a few, um, uh, a few things I want to bring to our attention. Uh, first of all, um, you notice that uh, Kobe is not here this day. Uh, he has taken a long-deserved weekend off, and so uh, hopefully um, he is receiving some refreshing this weekend, and I am thankful to Ann and Jamie in leading us in worship this day. Um, and by the way, it is Ann's birthday, if you didn't know that, so yes, I want to make sure everybody knows that. Thank so you. so if, thank if, you. if you're at home, if you'll make sure you post on Facebook or put a sign in your yard that says it's Ann's Clark's <laughs> birthday today, that would be great. Ann is old. What Anne do you is, think? Ann is old today. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, we do celebrate that on this day. A uh, couple of things I want to remind you is beginning this week, um, you have an opportunity to enter into an online auction. Normally, um, the missions team, the outreach team, does a trivia night. Well, that kind of got um, diverted a little bit for some strange reason. Um, and so um, we have these items that they had collected. And so I think it's for the next week and a half. Um, you have an opportunity to uh, participate in an online auction. Uh, you can do that by getting information either through the church office or through Facebook. Um, and, um, and they'll, they'll uh, give you access to this uh, private auction page where you can bid, bid lots and lots and lots of money um, to buy. Um, well, no, don't buy the cinnamon rolls. Those are for me. <laughs> no? Okay. Uh, but um, all of the funds from this will go to the outreach um, um, ministries of the church. And so I hope you'll participate in that. Also, I want to remind you that next week we'll be offering a special blessing for all of those who are um, employed with the school, um, and uh, we'll be offering a special blessing whether you're here or whether you're at home. Uh, we just want to offer a special prayer um, next Sunday um, as uh, the first week of school will begin, um, that uh, God's graciousness will be upon um be upon you all. And so if you haven't already, please let us know. So um, I want to get your name on an index card. So not only will we pray for you next week, we will continue to pray for you through these um, next coming months as uh, we navigate this new world and new reality that we are living into. And then I also want to remind you that on, um, I think it's Wednesday the 19th. Is that Wednesday or is that Tuesday? That's Wednesday. Um, uh, at 10 a.m., uh, we'll be parading around the village again, and so we want to encourage you to participate in that if, um, if you are able. And, um, and then you will be get, receiving more information um, about, um, about Wednesday night programming, which will begin after Labor Day, and so be looking for that if you've not already received that. <sighs> and now... Um, I want to invite us, those who are here, I'm going to invite to stand. Um, and I don't, I don't, we're going to, we're going to, um, we are going to um, do an affirmation of, of faith that's from page 883, uh, which will be on your screen here. Um, and I'm going to have you all join with me in this affirmation of faith. And hopefully um, it's on the screen for those at home also. 
uh, but I'm going to invite you uh, to join in this affirmation, and I invite you not just to repeat the words that are here, uh, but I invite you to allow these words to um, come from the depths of your hearts. Join with me. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen, our judge and our hope. In life, in death, in life beyond death, God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated, and um, Jamie is going to share with us the wonderful words of the song, Rescue, this day.
Thank you, Jamie. Can we celebrate those words that indeed um, God um, rescues us, that God um, always chases after us, um, seeking to draw us to himself? Um, And in fact, I think that that, uh, these next um, two um, messages that come from the book of Acts, both here in Acts chapter 9 and then in uh, chapter 10 and 11, are indeed about God continuing to chase after his people. Uh, continuing to seek to reach out to us and to um, call us and speak to us and encounter us so that we might be shaped and turned and reorient our lives toward God. Uh, Today we're going to be taking a look at um, Acts chapter 9. Um, It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Um, It is uh, this passage of Scripture about Saul on the road to Damascus. And so I just want to, um, I want to begin by reading these first um, six verses of chapter 9. You, you may recall um, that uh, a, a couple of Sundays ago we talked about Stephen, and, and we saw Stephen before the um, Jerusalem council, before, that is before the Sanhedrin, and um, we saw him stoned. And we were told, if we were paying attention to the passage there, that Saul was present during Stephen's speech and his stoning. Um, and um, then we, um, we have this interlude where we see Philip going and uh, reaching out in Samaria and other places uh, to share the good news of God. And so while the church was being scattered because of this persecution, um, Luke picks up the story in chapter 9 and he says this. Meanwhile, that is, while the church was scattered, while there was persecution going on, while uh, the people, uh, uh, the followers of Jesus were trying to figure out what was going on, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, seeking letters to the synagogues in Damascus. If he found persons who belonged to the way... Uh, the way is, what, is how the followers of Jesus referred to themselves in those days. Whether they were men or women, these letters would authorize Saul to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you harassing me? And Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You will be told what you must do. Now the story continues, and we'll unpack that. Uh, but we, that, that story is so familiar to us as we hear it. Uh, But I wonder, you know, oftentimes I think when we hear that story, we think of the story or we hear it, I think, in one of two ways. Um, We hear the story um, as this personal conversion of Saul, uh, this non-Christian who was an evil person, who was persecuting Christians, who um, was a, a, a bad person. 
um, has this sudden encounter with God that he's not anticipating and, and is miraculously changed and, and changes his ways and becomes a Christian. Uh, now, um, there's nothing wrong with that reading of the passage. But we also sometimes hear this as a passage that's about the, uh, the triumph of the church. And in fact, I think we get that because at the end of this chapter, it says that after this experience that Paul or that Saul has on the road to Damascus and in Damascus, that the church experiences a season of refreshing and of peace. A season that lasted about 15 years, it seems like. Um, but we, we read this as a, a passage which shows uh, that this enemy of God is confronted and stopped by God so that the early church could continue to thrive. Uh, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with hearing the passage in that way, but I do wonder sometimes if, if we hear the passage only in one of those two ways, and I want to suggest that there's a third way that we might hear this passage today. I wonder if it would be worthwhile uh, for us to hear this passage from the perspective of Saul. See, I think sometimes we forget uh, because all we think of is Saul as a non-Christian. And we have this vision of what non-Christians are, don't we? Uh, but, but we forget Saul was a devout Jew. In fact, he had been a devout Jew from birth. In other words, he was a devout follower of God from his very birth. He was raised in the traditions of reading the scriptures of God. And he knew those scriptures better than anyone else. For you see, he, was, he had been trained under Gamil, one of the uh, uh, most uh, popular and well-known rabbis of his time. He had been taught scriptures from an early age, and he himself had become a Pharisee. A Pharisee was one of the folks that the people of Israel looked to for interpretation of the Torah, to understand better what the scriptures were saying. We forget sometimes that Saul was a devout man of God who greatly desired for that day of the Lord to come when heaven and earth would be reunited under God's reign once again. Um, and his anticipation was that would happen when through Israel, God began to reign here on earth. We forget that Saul was absolutely convinced that he was participating in the mission and the purpose of God. And he was absolutely convinced that these renegade Jewish people like Peter and John and James and Stephen and Philip, he was convinced that they were a danger to the faith and to Israel, and to God's purposes. In fact, he was convinced that they were working against the God 
of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he was so convinced that they were misleading the people that he sought to silence them, even if it meant doing it in violent and horrible ways. He wanted the promise of the kingdom of God to come, and he was convinced that it would not come until the people of God uh, followed and lived out the Torah like the Pharisees sought to do. He was convinced that the coming of God was dependent on the people of God living in certain ways. And so he gladly received this commission from the chief priests and from the Sanhedrins to go out and to gather up these people of the way, these people who were followers of Jesus, and to bind them up and to haul them back to Jerusalem so they could stand before uh, the Jewish uh, temple leaders to be condemned of their heresy. Now, if we think about the story in that way, I can't help but wonder if this journey that Paul is taking to Damascus, I think sometimes we think Paul is this um, person who is just plotting out how he's going to capture the people of the way. Uh, But you know, if if indeed Paul or Saul, uh, I'll get these mixed up um, in my head, so if I say Paul, I mean Saul. How's that? Um, but, But Saul was on the road to Damascus. And I suspect as a devout Jew that what Saul was doing is that he was in deep prayer and meditation. I don't think we think of it that way. Uh, But you see, I think that, that Saul really was a person after God's heart. And I can't help but wonder if it's not because of that fact that Saul has this experience. Sometimes we think uh, that that maybe God just forced himself upon Saul. Uh, But I'm more apt to believe that what was happening on the road to Damascus is that Saul was in prayer and he was in meditation. He was convinced that he was on this mission of God, uh, that he was in service to God in all that he was doing. And I think maybe he was praying this prayer as, as we know in later Jewish tradition, Um, There were the folks who sought to have an experience like Ezekiel had in chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, where Ezekiel has this vision of the throne room of God. And so it is more likely, I think, that Paul was on this road to Damascus praying and meditating and and wanting to enter into this this throne room of God, to have this vision uh, of God in heaven, to have this um, encounter with God uh, so that he might be protected so that he might be guided in all that he was about to do in the name of God. And I think he's in this prayer and in this meditation and suddenly he he finds his hope becoming a reality. Here he is, he's having this vision of, of God in heaven. Um, He he finds himself um, in this um, state like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah when they were called to be messengers for God. And he finds himself in this state and in this vision, except that as he's having this vision of the throne room of God, 
he discovers the one speaking to him is the risen Christ. He finds the one speaking to him from the throne room of God is the risen Christ. I assure you that that would have made him speechless. You see, it's in this, he's in this state of meditation and prayer. And he has this experience which turns his world upside down. It turns his perspective and his thoughts upside down. Because he discovers, he discovers something he had never considered that God might accomplish his purpose and his mission by coming in love to offer himself up for all of the world. And so he finds himself in the midst of this this vision and this encounter that he's having. He finds himself, I think, asking, or at least beginning to ask himself, have I been wrong about God? Have I been wrong about what God is doing and what God's purpose is in the world? Have I been wrong about God's method? Have I even been wrong about the mission and the calling to which God calls me? Put yourself in the shoes of Saul, seeking to follow God devoutly, thinking that he was indeed doing all that God had called him to do, and then coming up against this this vision, this voice that challenges everything that he had learned about God and the way that God works. Coming, beginning to come to grips with the fact that maybe he had been ignorantly following the ways of God, not actually knowing who God was or what God was about, failing to understand the depth of God's love and of God's mercy. Here he stands or sits, or lays, as the story tells us, lays flat on this road to Damascus, only hearing the words, get up and go to Damascus, and I will tell you what to do. And so we're told he gets up, he goes to Damascus. And we pick up the story in verse 10, where we're told that in Damascus, There was a certain disciple named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a a vision. He said, Ananias, yes, Lord. The Lord instructed him, go to Judah's house on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. See, I I suspect when when Saul got to Damascus, um, that he probably prayed even more and meditated even deeper than he had ever done as he sought. What does all this mean? What in the world is it that I'm called to do? And who is this God of Israel? Who is he really? 
And it says that he was, he was praying to have his sight restored. And Ananias encountered, Lord, um, I, I've heard many reports about this man. Uh, people say he's done horrible things to your holy people in Jerusalem. And I understand he's here with authority from the chief priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. The Lord replied, go, this man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias, he goes he places his hands on Saul and he says, Brother Saul. Well, I wonder how hard that must have been to call Saul brother, knowing that he had come to put people like Ananias in prison. Jesus sent me. Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you were coming here, he sent me so that you could see again and you could be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly the flakes fall away from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He was baptized. And he regained his strength. Do you, do you hear this radical shift. That is going on in the very depths of Saul. And his being and his understanding of who God might be. The story continues, and it tells us that indeed Saul goes into the synagogue like he had intended to do. And he stood up in the synagogue, and, and all the people in the synagogue, they are anticipating that Saul is going to say, I am here to eliminate the way. I am here. Tell me who are these people teaching about Jesus. This is what they anticipated. And instead, the story tells us uh, that they were confused and perplexed because Saul began to teach them and to explain to them that this Jesus was indeed the way and the Messiah. What a radical transformation that we see in this story. This man who was absolutely convinced uh, that he was following God, he was doing all that God had called him to do, uh, he was resorting to uh, uh, violence in any way possible to stamp out what he thought were, were heretics or those who were uh, opposing what he was absolutely convinced was the way, now finds himself declaring that Jesus is indeed the way. Finding himself called to set, away, set aside his violent ways and instead to be uh, persecuted and suffer himself for sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. When we hear the story, 
this way. I, I, I got to admit to you, as I, as I keep reading the book of Acts this time, uh, it just jumps out off the pages as I begin to see it in ways that maybe I have never thought of. But I can't help but wonder if this is a better way for us to hear this passage today. I can't help but wonder, is the church, especially the Western church, do we look more like Saul before his experience in Damascus, or do we look more like Paul after his experience on the road to Damascus? I can't help but wonder if as we have seen years and years of decline in the followers of Jesus, I can't help but wonder if it's not because the church has failed to truly understand who God is and what God is about and what God's mission is and the purposes for which God gathers together His people. I can't help but wonder, as I look and I see uh, how, as a church, as Christians, we so often want to grasp for power. We become so convinced, I think, like Saul was, that what we need to do is we need to point out to people all they are doing wrong. We need to implement and force people to follow the rules and the laws as, as we understand them. We need to implement them and, and force them down upon people so that they can live the right way. We have more faith in our government than we do in Jesus Christ. We truly think that the answer to the world is who we put in control in Washington. If we just get the right person there, all will be well. When we ought to be pointing to the name of Jesus. I can't help but wonder if the church in our zeal. In our zeal to um, let everybody know we've got it right. Has not become a, an organization that is more interested in condemning other people than in converting other people, than in coming alongside of other people so that their eyes might be opened in showing them the importance of forgiveness and love. I can't help but wonder, especially as um, day after day after day, I see the interactions of people. Whether it's on 
Facebook or on the internet or in interactions with other people, I see the hatefulness that spews from the same people who gather together on Sunday to sing praises to Jesus. I can't help but wonder if that is the face of God that others who don't know Jesus see. I can't help but wonder, do they see Saul seething with contempt for those who are not following God in the way he knows to be the way to follow God? Rather than seeing Paul, who has experienced the wonderful mercy of God. Saul will say later in his letters, he will say, I am the worst sinner among sinners. And and we often think of that in moral terms. I'm not sure why, because Paul also says he was righteous according to the law. He followed all the steps of the law. I cannot help but wonder if Paul thought he was the worst sinner of all, because he had taken God's name in vain because he had misrepresented God to the world. You see, I think that that is a greater sin than any moral failure that anyone can have. It's when the people of God misrepresent who God is and what God is about. Saul learned that day in Damascus that God was about mercy and about forgiveness, and about love. This man, who thought he was following God, who in fact was opposing God at 180 degrees, God still came to him and rescued him. God still came to him. Gave him an opportunity just like he had given the Sanhedrin under, under St- when Stephen was speaking to them. Given him a chance to see who God really was. To understand that Jesus was the complete and full revelation of God and what God is about. And to give him a chance to reorient his life and his ways and his teaching. And Paul saw did just that. I wonder what would happen today if the people of God, who are so right that we have got it all correct and right, would simply fall on our knees. We'd pray out to God for a vision of who God is. Would open up our hearts to be transformed and changed to truly see who God is and what God is out. To understand that God is indeed fully revealed in the life and the teachings of Jesus. And when God says, I call you 
to love your enemies. And when Jesus demonstrates that, it's not just intended to be words on a page that sound like a great ideal. It is indeed the way of God. May we as the people of God open our hearts. May we cry out for the Holy Spirit to be poured down upon us that we might have a clearer vision of who God is, of who God calls us to be, and of the mission that God calls us to be on. I can't help but think that if we were to do that, that we would see wonderful and miraculous things in our community and the world. May it be so this day and every day. Stand and sing with us. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Hold me and make me, this is what I I think we're going to leave on that note today. What do you think? Um, I invite you, if you have offering and tithes, to put those in the plate as you leave. But as you go this day, may you go with this song, not just on your lips, but on your heart. May we indeed be a people who more than anything else want God to change our hearts so that we may be more and more like him each and every day.
Let us go forth in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, to have our hearts shaped and reoriented so that we are the bearers of the good news. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.